President of Mallow GAA Club, Liam Sheehan, is my guest on this evening's edition of the programme. Winner of two Intermediate County Hurling titles with Mallow in 1959 and again in 1972, and a senior county with divisional side Avondu in 1966. Well, before the break, Liam spoke about marking the legendary hurling maestro Christy Ring. While Ringy, as he was affectionately known, was a hard man on the field of play, Liam says he was a very religious and caring man off the field, as this story proves yet again. Again, going home one night, and he thought this fellow came running against him. He was a tenant. They were, they were in apartments or something. They were living in the city, bought him. And he knew me. He said, what's wrong with you? And he said, uh, I, I got warned, got a telegram that my mother's after dying. And I must go over to the, the station to see how times of the trains. I suppose there was hardly any phones at the time. So Ring said, no, stop, stop, he said. Go home. How long will it take you to get ready? And he said, go off and out when you Go home and I'll go with you. And he drove that man all the ways up to Galway. To Galway? To Galway. Yeah. And in his own car, drove him all the ways to Galway. And they said, to this day, there's a, a big photograph or a painting of Ring in that farmhouse. And he drove back in the morning for work. He drove, had a cup of tea. Seemingly never drank or anything, but he had a cup of tea and drove back and was at work in the morning. So he was a wonderful man, really. He was just a, he was a, he was a legend for many reasons, yeah, you know. Yeah. So it was an honour to be playing near him. And Phil has often said to me, one man used to always stop me and he said, remember the day you played on ring? <laughs> <laughs> so it was my claim to fame. <laughs> All right. What sort of celebrations did you have when you won the county? They'd be different out of the celebrations today, I would imagine. I can't remember, really, but there would be a lot of drinking going on, you know. And I never drank too much, but there would be a lot of drinking. When I was in 59, I was very young on that team, you know, and, and the most of them were about six years older than me, so I, I used to truck along with him, you know. But uh, funnily enough, lately we, we celebrated the 72 victory up in Carragoon in Manor. We had a lovely night. 50 years since we, it was 50 years since we won a, a hurling. Okay. Just hard to believe it, you know. And we've been there or thereabouts last night in many counties by points and semi-finals and, you know. So it's not easy when counties, but we had a great night now lately and most of the people were there. Was a few had died all right since. Sure, they'd, they'd been in their 70s and we got a lovely little trophy and Lovely little meal, no, lovely light meal, and everybody was thrilled to bits. But there used to be celebrations, all right. There used to be great celebrations, all right, in the High Bean, on the High Bean Mallow, the High Bean Hotel, you know. That after the county final, not the, not on the day of the county final, but later on, the, yeah. there'd be very big, big meals and to be a big deal. When did you get into the coaching then? Well, that was by accident, really. <laughs> I never had great victories or anything. Philip seemed to think I was okay, but uh, Philip Egan. Yeah, Philip Egan. And you spent time in List Carroll as Liz well. Carroll yeah. I did, and Fremont, and Killavullen, you know, and I kind of got on well with most places I went to. Band here, Fremont, oh, we're a bit unlucky, they're beating the semi final account, Juna Hurling, you know, by Nemo Rangers, senior football team. They all played Hurling and, and they won it out, they won the, the final. So, uh, emphasise coaching, um, skills, the skills of the Hurling. Yeah. So that was my strength, really, you know, taking sideline cuts and various how to pick a ball how to strike from your hand you know and to this day I, I, I look at matches and I see fellas striking from the hand and, it's, uh, and they could be very good hurlers and they're playing for 15-20 years and they're still not doing it properly you know to, to my mind <laughs> 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 I got angry at it okay, lovely time with Killavola now and Kildallery where else they go band here you know 
It's a nice opportunity for me to ask somebody who's involved in the coaching because a lot of people outside the game mightn't be aware of the commitment required and involved as a coach to a hurling yeah. team or a football team. Yeah, there, there is really. And as I, I had a shop, you know, I, I was used to be under pressure at times if you would have a teacher's job now. You could finish up early and you'd have more time. But I, I always remember going to Kildare, you know, it was a long road to Kildare. And uh, I never demanded much money, really. And I remember the treasurer one night, he asked me about my expenses and all, and, and I, I told him, and, and he says, Geez, he said, that's very small. Your expenses are very small. He said, I'll give a bit more than this. <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, well, the drive to Lorena was one of the longest. I think I ended up friendly with every club I left I, I didn't leave and in bad terms yeah. which is great How difficult is, is it then on say your first evening meeting a team for the very first time and getting them on board Well it is difficult you just have to <laughs> you have to play cute I suppose you know and try to get to know them and, and I, I would have a plan laid out and I would talk about em- em- emphasis on on skill training you know and uh, skill and fitness of course as well naturally but uh, the skill is all important I think I try and demonstrate my skills and sometimes I know you were with Liz Carroll and it was uh, Philip Egan who suggested that I talk to you and he has great time for you and he said you'd be a great man to coach underage teams now well I'm too old now I suppose yeah yeah. At one time I was going to apply for a job with the Cork County Board, but I didn't in the end. Whoever was going for it, and I said, look, he, he deserves it more than me, and he's in Cork City, and, you know, I think it would have been a lovely uh, occupation, all right, you know. Yeah. It would nearly be a full-time job, you know. It has changed dramatically now, hurling overall. We were just talking a few seconds ago about, before we started recording, we were talking about Limerick, and who's going to catch them, and when are they going to catch them? They're just, they just seem invincible at the moment, Liam. Well, that's the word from Leicester and watching them you'd say can they be beaten at all and no matter where you looked they were massive either massive men but not alone the massive men it's not just that their skill their skill levels are frightening frightening you know and they have more to come whether McManus is a big addition to my boss he is he helps mm. him a little bit but uh, I'm just telling a funny story we were up at a match in Carragoon I do a bit of steward in there you know and usually the Cox City fellas arrive early some of the teams arrive an hour and a half before the match you'd say what on earth did they do but an hour and a half they'd be there and uh, some of the fellas hanging around with them would come out and be chatting we were chatting one day three or four of us and this fella next thing I went to Limerick and this fella says to me says to us he says I tell you one thing about Limerick now, he says, listen to me now, one thing about, are you listening? No, he said, we are, yeah. He says, you won't get on the Limerick Holland team unless you're able to paint a bungalow without a ladder. <laughs> 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 the real cock city with. The next day, I was, as I was passing bungalows, I was putting up my hand, but I, <laughs> I wouldn't get on the Limerick team at all. And Apart from McManus, Kylie has done some job. Oh, John Kylie has. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. I met John Kiley at Philip Egan's launch of a book, the last book he launched. John Kiley was there and Sonia Sullivan was there and Michal and Murkatek. It was a fantastic night. Fantastic night. How he got those three totally important people. You know, Philip, with his (laughs) power of persuasion, I suppose. Oh, yes. He seems to be a little bit like Brian Cody. It doesn't take any messing. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does. Well, he must have the secret and whatever it is. He demands high standards and he's receiving them and it's very hard to see anyone beating them.
that. I was reading an article by Anthony Daly recently and he was saying that, uh, you know, while Cork are the most skillful team in the country, they need to build up the old physicality aspect of it. And I think Pat Ryan is doing that now. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. The shot physicality, you know, and they'll have to have it. You have to blend up the two of them, especially nowadays. I mean, that that level of fitness just was awe-inspiring. You know, you'd say, how on earth? And and, and what I do know, if we did them in our time, we would be thrown off the team. Mm. Chopping the ball, you know, in yeah. the middle of everyone, chopping the ball in your hand, all this type of thing. Like sort of exhibition hurling. Just like exib- exhibition hurling, yeah. I saw one fuller lately in a match and he chopped it with his foot. However, he did it, his slither came up. in London, Liam returned home to Mallow. Employment was scarce, and Liam wasn't too confident about seeking permanent work. But, as the saying goes, when one door closes, another opens, and a business opportunity presented itself. I, I went to London, walked there for a while in a, in a medical office, and I liked it, but I missed the hurling. You know, I was only 19 or 20 at that time. I had worked in the beat factory offices, and I liked that, and then I got the county council offices, but... I wasn't made permanent, and I love that type of work, because I'm a good, I'm a nice handwriter, I like writing. But um, I left it in there because I got the impression I mightn't be appointed. There was another two-year crowd coming in, and I don't know, I have a letter at home to say I left it on my own accord. <laughs> so, and uh, eventually I went to London, and I got a job in the, the medical centre, uh, insurance crowd over, and uh, I played a bit of soccer in Hyde Park. And they said, in, in their newsletter, they said they were they expected. I forget the wording they used, and that there was a, 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 a footballer playing with them, playing soccer with the team. But I came home, and I missed it. And I got, I don't know how I did, but I went down to Tommy Knighton. He was a uh, businessman, a man, a nice man. Himself and Conor Flynn were opening uh, greengrocers, and they asked me would I go in with them, the three of us. And I did, and that's how it happened. It happened. And it was a fabulous shop. I was talking to Brian Wall lately, and he said the first day he came to Mallow, he parked outside my shop, and he said we couldn't get over himself and his wife. Beautifully laid out, was way ahead of most of them, you know, there was lovely mirrors, expensive mirrors that were showing up the, the huge trays of fruit and veg, and then a beautiful window, and everything was fabulous, you know, it wasn't like the old days, you know, rough and ready. So uh, I was there for donkey's years. <laughs> and, uh, how big, obviously it's a big decision to go into business on your own. Well, I know you had two other people with you, but it's, it can be risky at times. It can, but I had nothing to lose. No, um, I wanted a job, kind of, you know. And eventually I, I bought out the two boys. I know I had some very, very good times, you know, mm-hmm. very, very good times. And uh, did very well. I remember I bought the highest van. I'd say I was one of the first in the country to buy one. I was going to cough for something. I saw this van in Mallow. And on the way back, I called in and because uh, I used to deliver stuff and collect stuff, you know. And he couldn't sell it to me, he said, because it was the first on the market or something like that. He didn't excuse. But I went to Johnny Reardon, I think, and I got bought it. He had one and I bought one, you know. So things were going well for a long, long time, you know. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask you that. How did you do there? Very well, really. Yeah. Very well. And it was, it was a lovely life, you know. Lovely people came and uh, come from outside the area, from the rural area. They came in and, you know, you'd make great friends. Life. 
friends, really. And even the last few years now, since it's closed, we'd meet that person and she'd say, oh, I miss you terribly. <laughs> you know? And I got on well with the suppliers, with a lot of suppliers, local suppliers, you know. Henry Savage, now from, from Belly Cotton. And he still come to town. He had beautiful potatoes. And you know, I don't know who had the honey. And Joe Keller came from Castle Gregory with beautiful carrots, parsnips, etc. You know, and the vicaries. Michael Church came from Monabi. Grew, uh, he had lovely sandy soil. He grew lovely carrots out there. And Tom Welch grew Grand Swedes. And uh, I remember when Tom died, Tom Welch died, I went to the funeral and his wife was there and his daughter. And she introduced me and I was sympathised. And Mrs. Welch said, who, who was it? She said, Liam Sheen, the turnip man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she said, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because Tom was a very honourable man. You know, he's, uh, he's got angry at him. And I, I suppose it was a big time when the new spuds came out. You know, people used to say, nothing better, a feed in itself, new spuds yeah, yeah. and butter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially the belly cotton ones, they yeah. were renowned. Close to the sea. Close to the sea. Yeah. They came earlier and there was supposed to be something about them and mystique about them, you know. So uh, that and the carrots, the Castle Gregory carrots, the carrots, they were they had the name of their own. Even to this day, people say it, you know, there was a different taste after them. <laughs> of the Castle Gregory carrots. Carrots yeah. and pasta. I remember one time a Dutch woman that lived in Mella, she wouldn't take Dutch tomatoes. And I said, they had Dutch tomatoes. No, no, she went through it. What was the word? They were too pushed. What was the word for it? Uh, they were, well, they weren't organic, and, uh, yeah. you know, they were. And people used to look for that stuff, you know, for the, the Irish growing, the organic stuff, if possible. And in, la- in the latter years, we had a share of organic stuff, you know. Philip asked me to ask you about, is it the Nazi bar, the Nazi bar? Oh, yeah. Now <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going with one of the stories now about J- Jersey. Yeah. The Nazi bar. And the reason it was called the Nazi bar was the German technicians who went to the sugar factory uh, installing the, all the, the machinery used to stay in that bar and drink in that bar. And he got the nickname Nazi, like Nazi, Nazi. Yeah. In time, he got it, you know. So uh, a lot of people never called it by the proper name. In time, it was called the Nazi bar. President of Mallow GAA Club, Liam Sheehan, is my guest on Where the Road Takes Me this Sunday evening. Coming up in part three, happy days in the town hall, a narrow escape at the border, and a chance meeting with former Kerry footballer Mick O'Connell. The final part of Where the Road Takes Me awaits you after the break. <laughs> 